Sorry, I should be laughing. I laughed at the wrong point when you said homelessness. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Roger. And welcome to The Middle, where we try to have thoughtful conversations about awkward topics on our search to find the middle. Sunday morning. Hi, Andy. We're we're at a different time now for this week. But we you usually, still got you still got the light on in the background. I can see. Yeah, that's just for effect. <laughs> <laughs> so we usually have this at really late at night, right? We usually record late at night, and I always wondered in the back of my mind, even though we are both night owls, whether it affected our ability to to think and to you know have a certain level of conversation. Did well, it depends how many drinks you have and um, how long your day at work was um, on the on the same day. Yeah, so Sunday morning now, all the um, good people are at church, um, which in the Hills District is pretty much everyone, and we are here to talk about charities. That's an interesting um, segue because um, I think in history it probably would be true that religious organisations probably accounted for most of the historic levels of charitable giving or at least it was through those institutions but um now that we're all atheists or at least really bad <laughs> christians or catholics or whatever um yeah i don't know what's happened it's fallen off a cliff has it yeah i think like when you have <clears throat> you know when you have a system where they literally have a bag you know and sometimes the bags on the stick because there's benches of people sitting at the church congregation and they almost like put it in front of your lap <laughs> the conditions are perfect for um forgiving but it has been less successful obviously since um you know with covid and everyone's doing remote remote kind of church sessions right yeah so people are less inclined to give and it's like oh yeah you can set up a direct debit and all that kind of stuff but it's just not the same as that little crappy velvet bag being shoved in your face and everyone watching what's going into the bag especially if you're part of an asian church which i've spoken about before that's where my experience lies it's a big thing you know in asian culture to be shouting you know trying to haggle and pay for the bill um it's all about showing that face right so do people yeah. haggle over how much to give like oh. it's like oh i won't give you i won't give you like 10 percent of my my income but how about five percent <laughs> no it's the, other, it's the other way around it's actually um it's actually the the uncle's trying to hover that $100 bill a little bit too long so that people can see it going into the bag, right? And I think we're going to talk about that today. Like when when charity, you know, has a noble goal, but a lot of it also has the social benefits of wanting people to know that you are generous, that you are doing the right thing, right? So yeah. I've often seen that, uh, you know, that, that one flashy uncle wearing the gold Rolex hovering that $100 bill a bit too long for people to see it going into the church bag. <laughs> All right, so where should we start? I think there's a few things we want to cover today. Well, I actually want to, I actually want to start something personal, and that's like the attitude towards the, the, those hustlers on the street, right? Like, because <laughs> I think to me that's the strongest experience that most people have with charities, right? It's the pestering, the really aggressive salespeople um, that that are, that cost you in the supermarket or in the shopping mall in the street. And, um, you know, I went to Union City in Sydney and there used to be this 100-mile stretch to get to my block 
and it was just the gauntlet. It was like Thunder Road for all charities and they would just kind of really get you. And you could always tell the people who were used to it not because, they're, you know, it's like dealing with any any person accosting you in public. But do you have, what's your experience or your thoughts on those really aggressive charity people that just grab you off the street? Well, the best thing about wearing headphones virtually any minute I have alone walking the streets is that you have a really plausible reason to ignore them without seeming rude. So, and they don't tend to approach me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I've just got my like eye contact strategically <laughs> gazed away from, from anywhere near them. But um, yeah, I mean, like I've had, uh, you know, you have, they'll, even when you've got your headphones in there, some yeah. will even still try <laughs> and you've just sort of got to, you know, p- pretend you didn't hear them or, or whatever. But I suppose the maybe even more like a fundamental question is like, is that a good practice or a bad practice? And I think, you know, there's lots of like negative press associated with, and I think they, you know, referred to colloquially as chuggers, charity muggers. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, it's, it, it really, there's like a negative connotation about what they do. And I think where this intersects with, you know, a lot of the controversy, it's not just that they're annoying, it's also that these people on the street who collect money are actually paid to do that. So, you know, I think maybe at, you know, at a time, I don't know whether 20, 30 years ago is is the right amount of time to refer to, but, you know, you'd have people like Salvation Army or you'd have other people who would volunteer and they, and they would, um, you know, people collecting money or soliciting donations, they would be volunteers who would be giving up their time and that was sort of the history of it. Yeah. And then at some point it became like almost a commercial operation where, you know, there are actually businesses that specialize in in finding staff to man the streets and collect money on behalf of charities. I feel like they should have to disclose that too in a bit more, in a different way, right? Because to me, it doesn't help that they're wearing those little vests as well, because I feel like they go back to their closet and they've got a vest for <clears throat> Uber Eats, they've got a vest for like Deliveroo, and then they put on their Unif- UNICEF vest and, and it's just all like this weird gig economy thing. And um, it really turns me off, right? And yeah, they, they approach me. I mean, I have the little AirPods when I'm walking around the street. So I think maybe the bigger the bigger the headphones, maybe the more they leave you alone, but they always <laughs> like try to talk through the, the headphones to me. And I just, yeah, I just hate how aggressive they are. And I actually feel really sorry for the people who do get caught up in it, right? Because I don't know if you know anyone where like they are the nicest person in the world, but they just really struggle with confrontation. And so they always get caught in the web of these charity people. And I just feel for them. I'm like, I just wish I was there. I knew you well enough to stand up for you and say, no, he's busy or she's busy. Leave her alone. Like, say away. But they don't because they're nice. And, and I just feel like the whole system, much like a lot of this network sales and cold call sales, is built on kind of prying or targeting these weaker or more amiable kind of people, right? They're like, we know people don't like confrontation. They know they don't like saying no or disappointing people. So this is the strategy on how to extract the dollar. And yeah, I just, I, I hate that side of it. And and it really, it really turns me, it turns me off, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I guess the difference between say Tupperware sales and, um, and, and, and chuggers, if you like, is that I guess there is something intrinsically good about what they're doing, even if they use or leverage some of these tactics, right? So, I suppose one view might be that if these sorts of strategies can just, for example, double the, the you know, the income of a charity, then even if, yes, they are kind of getting the money from people who are a little bit more open to being accosted in this way and, and respond to it in a not necessarily the negative way that you or I spoke about, 
that's still sort of pursuing, you know, a good thing. And I guess one of the things with um, with this and the reason it's, it's exploded is that, you know, it, it is hard for charities to grow their income and this is an effective way for them to do it. And is this like the rod for our backs that we need as a society? Like, is this like, because if we're not giving any other way, maybe we do need these people on the street to, um, to, to cost us and, um, yeah, and, and, and encourage us to do more than what we're currently doing without it, I guess. What's your attitude going back to the, to the fundamentals that you laid out? Like, why should we give? Do we have an obligation to give? Because I must admit that comes from a much more, religious background for me growing up that it was part of it was it was part of what you were taught that you you had an obligation to to give money to the church well, and also other people but you know we we pay taxes we do other things we we help the people that are closest to us what what in your mind is is there a social contract here well let's um let's put just to one side like the role of government versus the role of, of charity and just look at the the basic example of, of should you have to give right and Derek Parfit is a um, a philosopher, and he has this this interesting line where he he really doesn't like the term "give," right? And the reason he doesn't like the term "give" is because it's premised on the notion that it's yours to begin with, right? That if you have money or if you're privileged, that somehow that's yours to give, right? So to give something, it ne- it needs to belong to you. And now it might be legally yours, but is it morally yours? Is is where he, his point, right? So um, to give. An example to kind of illustrate the point, you know, in, in a rich country like Australia or, you know, any really any sort of developed country on the planet, really, um, you're going to be very well off compared to, say, the global average, right? So, and then indeed, there's many people who are well below the global average as well. So, there's nothing unique about us or special about us that's earned our, our privileged status, right? Um, that we have money, that we've, we've, we've got you know, disposable income, right? There's nothing that we've done to earn that. And equally, there's nothing that less privileged people have done to earn their less privileged status, right? So, the notion that we should give something is, in his mind, it's almost like we're stealing if we don't give it. So, it's kind of a flip, like it kind of reverses a little bit. And yeah, so I I think there's definitely some ethical arguments and it's a little bit more complicated than just this notion that, um, yeah, that, oh, well, you know, you, 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 you don't ha- you just shouldn't have to give or it's, it's it's your choice that actually you do have a moral obligation to to give to the world's most pressing causes I guess yeah I mean just because I'm wearing a red hat doesn't mean I'm a, <laughs> I'm a communist but um, that does sound into the road of you know challenging private ownership well it's not so much challenging private ownership I mean no one's saying that um, it's not about saying the property rights are not there of course they they are there legally that's not what's being debated but a moral obligation to give is it, I suppose, a separate question, which is, well, if you had $100, should you spend that $100, I don't know, buying a, I don't know, what would you, you know, a nice meal at an expensive restaurant, although you might need a couple hundred dollars three, for it nowadays. Three American coffees. <laughs> yeah, three American. <laughs> or might you best better spend that money saving the life of a, a child in Africa, right? And it's kind of when you look at it through that kind of dichotomy, it's it's hard to kind of in some ways sort of feel good about yourself spending the money on something yeah. as frivolous as, well, well not any, maybe a not million. more, yeah. Andy. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but l- l- maybe let's kind of skip over to that, right? So, if you've got an obligation, where, where does the obligation end then, right? So, if we, if you're someone who wants to, to help by donating a portion of their income, is that where the obligation stops from there? Do you have to 
do you then wipe your hands from it or do you do you think that it extends to understanding what is achieved with that money well i i think okay so like an obligation to give is really premised on that you know it, it, it's a step towards you know equalizing in some ways you know arbitrary advantage and disadvantage is is like hard to you know morally you know extract yourself from from that obligation right um now I suppose the question on like, do you need to know where your money goes? That's more like a functional instrumentalist sort of argument where it's like, well, you give, but you need to make sure you're giving to causes which yield sort of actual benefits. So, you know, may- maybe if one was to say that, like, let's say you, you you consider yourself to be very fortunate that you earn a high income and you say to yourself, well, I earn, let's say, 30% more than the average. So, you know, I'm I'm lucky. I'm I've got everything I need, so I should donate that thirty percent to charity, right? Um, to equalize, right, with the average. And then let's say you then like decide that you want to donate to I don't know um, a charity that gives puppies lovely new bed places to sleep or something, right? A, a charity that you know I'm picking that as just an example of a charity that doesn't really ameliorate the kinds of things that you know suffering in in the in the world then you can say well actually you donating to that charity is not actually contributing to the goal of equalizing so maybe you need to choose a charity where the benefits are really clear where there's mm. evidence that they actually do deliver the impact that they promise and you know maybe even if you donated 10% instead of 30% to like 10% to a more effective charity that that that's actually going to have a more profound impact than you know donating to your frivolous puppy bed charity sort of thing yeah i think that that's true right it's like most most people most people i think feel like they're it stops there right it's just something that they do and once they've given the money they can move on their day they can feel good about themselves and you know but there are problems with that like you said that trying to understand what happens with that money and whether there's any actual outcome i feel that I mean, what, what in, in terms of preparing for this chat, I actually did try to find a little bit more about where the money goes. And I'm not sure if you've tried to, tried to track that through. Now, we're probably a little bit luckier in Australia because the, the watchdogs and reporting bodies do make it a little bit easier. But I would say that looking at it more globally, it's very, very hard to, to determine how much money is actually spent on direct causes. Yeah. And so there there are many, many famous examples of somewhere between like <laughs> as little as, you know, one cent on the dollar um, up to kind of like, you know, 10, 10, 15 cents on the dollar that's donated actually going to direct causes. Now, is this just being, is this just an outsider looking in, just being a bit naive about what it takes to raise money? Maybe. I don't like those. I don't like those stats. Like, how how would you react to those kind of things? I have no doubt that there are really quite fraudulent charities out there, or ones that maybe have a like a mission but haven't quite worked out yet <laughs> how to deliver on the mission. So they raise all this money, and you know, it's not clear actually how they're achieving their goals. Uh, I, I you know, I I know that. Well, I'd say two things. One is like, well, there are organisations which go and track like charities and give them ratings and one of the things that they rate them for is like transparency and and you know clear links between the dollars that you give and the outcome so um, like give well is one example of an organization which assesses and, and rates charities in that way 
and they usually come up with you know charities like the Against Malaria Foundation, which provides bed nets to um, families or children in Africa. And the bed nets are you know I don't know how much they cost, but they're you know probably only a couple of dollars a pop. But they can track through you know your dollars versus how many nets they provide. They know that where the nets are going. It's very clear where the nets are going, so they get very high ranking in terms of transparency. But then on the other hand, you know you you, you wouldn't want 10 billion, you know, bed nets, right? Like, so we need a mix of different things, right? So we do need to cover other other areas like research as well, which is probably a really hard one too, because it's speculative. So cancer research, there's charities that collect money for you know, research into all sorts of medical conditions. So, you know, and these charities are like quite hard to, you know, you know sort of, they well, they by definition sort of don't result in direct impacts because they're not going to direct impacts they're going to further science right and uh you know so there's some ones like that um i suppose as a general principle though like you want to be donating to charities that spend you know more of your money going to the direct cause because that's the reason you're donating in the first place but you know i think charities are going to have overheads right you, and if they didn't have overheads you'd probably question well what's you know that might raise even deeper questions if they didn't have people in the charity, making sure they're allocating the money correctly and, th- and that it's not going to line the pockets of, you know, local militia or gangs or, um, you know, there's all sorts of, um, you know, they, they've got to have some costs to make the charity effective. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, the 99% example is is probably, um, yeah, would make most people squirm, I would have thought. Yeah, and, like, I mean, it's probably very, very hard to separate what is an administration cost and there's no definition, I think in a lot of ways on that. So it probably is quite misleading to try to look for one metric um, to compare all these different organizations. But I think it's an, I think it is an issue. I mean, we have spoken about a framework or I think mean, framework, a movement, school of thought uh, in the in past episodes called effective altruism. And essentially, you know, I, I think that that does at least try to put some, you know, logic into how to approach this, both from a social movement kind of point of view of a philosophy around it, but also how do you calculate benefits when when doing good, right? And obviously charity is, is one part of that and charitable organizations. So, you know, they they have a bunch of tenants that can be summarized. Obviously, this is a very high-level way, but they're really about a, a couple of things, right? So, I'll, I'll kind of break it down. The, the first one is really doing good efficiently. So I think that's probably what they're most famous for, right? Which is that you could give that $100 to any number of organizations, but what is the best bang for buck? Who is looking at the optimization of you giving that $100 and the good it's going to do in the world, right? So that's like a core tenant of the movement. And they do that through a range of metrics and, and things like that in a in sometimes quite you know actuarial kind of terms and then I think they they have a focus on this idea of long termism so basically understanding that we are talking about we're not talking about small wins we're actually talking about things on a much wider time scale and I would say that it's been known to have a bit more utilitarian ethics so this idea of like consequentialism things of that nature, that the morality of an action is much more linked to its outcome rather than what it looks like um, on the surface, right? And or another way of summarizing it is the means justify the ends, right? The maximize happiness, minimize suffering, I suppose. And so 
that cocktail has attracted a lot of people who prefer a much more solid framework for for giving. You know, and there's been a, a bunch of um, organizations and, and resources that have popped up to really support this movement. And one we've spoken about in the past is uh, 80,000 Hours, which is a great, is a, is a kind of great movement and resource as well. This is about understanding that you only have a certain amount of time to be productive in your lifetime. How do you best want to use that, right? Through giving your time versus giving your money, depending on your skill set, your circumstance, where you live. And it's like quite a quite an interesting concept. Uh, you know, I know that you have thoughts on it too, Andy, about, hey, this seems right up your alley, really. To do you, What's your, what's your well, take on it? Uh, it's a no-brainer. Like, uh, I, <laughs> if you synthesize, I think, what the movement's all about into one thing, because you've mentioned quite a few, it's, it's simply that, you know, it, for whatever amount of money, well, there's probably two parts. <laughs> one is we should give more than we currently do. There's, so that's, but put, putting that to one side, if you are giving, if you are giving, then you want to make sure it's got, you know, the, the biggest possible impact and different people will have different ways of assessing or judging impact. And that's all open for debate, but there are, categorically some causes and some initiatives which have a far bigger impact than others. So even even like given we have all different preferences and different things we want to achieve um, through our giving, even with whatever your preferences are, you can clearly and objectively say that some causes are better than others and so we should be allocating our money to to the causes that have the biggest impact. And you kind of touched on a little bit before when you were talking about, you know, where does our responsibility end? Is it just giving is it just giving the money and then that's it, you just you job done sort of thing. Yeah. Well and I think, you know, maybe a, a view that says job done in, and wash your hands of it after you've you know, parted with your, your cash or whatever, that's that's probably a superficial view of, of people who only want to sort of appear to do the right thing, right? Whereas if you really truly care about the impact of, of the cause, like if you care about the causes, then you should care also about who you're giving it to, what they're doing with it, and and what and like you should be thinking about it, you know, every every time you give your money over, right? And I think that's really what it comes down to. Now whether that means it's, you know, you're gonna follow the literature right down to every last dollar and or and you're gonna work out you know, really complicated questions of, you know, is it better to donate to scientists researching, you know, the existential threats of AI or whether it means you're, you're going to just give to a charity that's going to provide bed nets in Africa, um, at least um, you, you've been a bit more thoughtful about it. I like it because it does put more um, onus back on the giver, right? Because at least, you know, you, you then have that obligation to decide um, how you, what, what you want to do with your money or what, what you want to do with your effort. You know, and your own philanthropy. Philanthropy. <laughs> we struggle with that word. <laughs> um, I, 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 not to cut you off, but one one thing, you know, where where it comes a little bit unstuck, at least in the public eye, or at least where it, you know it can become a bit more debatable, is there's um you know before you know one of, other, one of the other sort of key things that they talk about is that you should um you know you should donate. Like if you're well off, you should donate, you know, a, a fair, a fairly significant proportion of your income towards charitable causes. So it's not just, you know, whether you want to give your your half a percent away to a good cause versus a bad cause. It's actually that you should be giving more than half a percent, right? You should maybe ten percent or something like that, um, or even more. And I suppose where that comes unstuck is that like the theory is that if there's like more benefit to be yielded from you spending money on other people and other causes than yourself, then you're sort of morally obliged to do that. And then you come up with, and that sort of follows and flows through to examples of 
should you spend $500 on a kid's birthday party versus $500 on, you know, whatever cause, right? And ethically almost under, like, you can't conclude that the $500 on a kid's birthday party is going to be more beneficial than, than, than just about any other cause, you know, like it's, it's not, it's not plausible. So then the implication is, all right, well, we should never have kids' birthday parties and, or we should never, you know, have anything, uh, we should never spend any money on, you know, ice cream and so, you know, like, and that's where I think people are really challenged by that and the implications of it. Yeah. It, I want to talk a little bit about the giving pledge, right? Because this is something that raises alarm bells with me. I don't truly understand. And this, the cynic in me thinks it's all just a giant tax evasion scheme. <laughs> So basically, I'm referring to something called the Giving Pledge, which is a commitment by uh, a bunch of wealthy individuals and, and families to give away most, half or most of their wealth to charitable causes in their lifetime, right? Um, so I think it was announced by a couple of, it, it kickstarted in 2010 with um, the Gates, um, Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett and a bunch of other people. Um, with the idea of collecting support and the wealthiest in America and around the world. Um, so, you know, we've got, we've got billionaires such as, you know, Elon's there, Richard Branson, Mark Zuckerberg, and all the big ones. And to me, it's kind of, I don't quite understand it. And I, but I am aware that it's very, it, creating a charitable organization does have a hell of a lot of tax benefits, right? You have to pay a bunch of tax. You can, you can write that off. You can hire family members. Um, you can spend the money to actually, while you can't spend the money directly, you can use that money in donations or your own that you would have paid to tax to influence people as well, right? So there's secondary benefits that come to you. You can donate to, to people that then gain you favor and position and stuff like that. I mean, am I being a cynic here? Is, is, there, is there funny business going on? Because it seems very hard to understand. I think you, you, I don't disagree that they have ulterior motives, but I don't necessarily think it's tax related. I think the ulterior motive is, and maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but to confuse that this is genuine altruism on their behalf, as in like, I mean, if, if this were like pure genuine altruism and there was no other benefit to them in doing this, it probably wouldn't be as public. But I think if you're a billionaire and you've got all the money that you could ever need and someone says to you, well, you can still have all the money you ever need. It's just that this other bucket of money that you're never, ever going to touch in your life because you just don't need it. It's basically just, it, it, it's, it's, it may as well be air, you know, to you. It's that valuable to you. Then saying to everyone in, in the community that you're so generous and you're going to give this bucket of money that you're never going to touch in your lifetime because you couldn't possibly spend it even if you wanted to, you're actually going to give away is is saying to the rest of the community that you are a really good person. And it has this halo effect over these these people, these these billionaires who may even have a degree of guilt that they were they're so fortunate in the first place. And it absolves them of that that guilt or that sense of, you know, is it is it an injustice? You know, did I really earn it? And I think the psychological benefit that donating in this way has for these billionaires is actually a, a really significant private benefit to them. So even though they're giving money away to other people and other causes, really, it's you know they're a, a fairly significant beneficiary too, in the sense that there's virtually nothing else that they could spend that money on that would yield them as significant a benefit as as giving, right? Because it makes them feel good about themselves. It makes them feel upstanding and and um, 
Yeah, so uh, like I and that's I think what in history like that's what altruism's kind of it's not purely I mean sometimes it like pure altruism should be there's nothing about yourself in, involved in doing that cause but often you know with charitable giving there is like a big part of of, of, of a benefit. It makes you feel good about yourself. And, you know, those private benefits like actually have motivated people to give and, and fulfilling a sense of identity that you are a person that gives. So, I think that's what's going on there with the, the billionaires. I don't know if there's a pure tax benefit. There might be, but I think it's predominantly their, them actual, like self-actualizing a, a, you know image of um, sainthood about themselves. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about now is that um, amazing quote in Iron Man 2 where, you know, he's talking um, Ivan Vanko is talking to Tony Stark and he's like, you know, like all guilty men, you're now trying to rewrite your own history. <laughs> and it's this idea of like, you know, how you got that money and um, your privilege and your fortune and, and obviously all sorts of different ways that money has been gained over time. You talked about altruism a lot there. And I think a very simplistic way when you start to think about this is, you know, how would you define like your, what, what is your flavor of altruism you know from pure altruism that you that, that it does exist this idea of wanting to help people for for no other reason than than that full stop to reciprocal altruism that, you, that you're doing it because you know you want you want that returned at some stage and you realize that it's the best thing for the community and things like that to like you said just pretending because you need the social credit you need to you, you know you need you're doing it for you for your benefit. Where do you lie on that kind of? Where's your middle on altruism in general? Well, my middle lies in the middle. Like, <laughs> I think, um, I suppose, you know, every action has public and private benefits, right? And, you know, a decision to give money to a charity has public benefits in that, yes, you're giving money to other people and that helps other people and that's a public benefit. Um, but, it all, but it also has a private benefit. It makes people feel better about themselves. It fulfills an identity. It makes other people feel more positively about them it might even make people more likely to reciprocate as in support that person if they ever need help and that might be part of the historic role that organized religion played too where you, you give some money when you're earning an income and then maybe when you're older and you're you know a pensioner or you know or maybe you don't even have a pension back in in whichever century we're talking about um you know the church can help you out if you if you really are in need so there's both right and I don't think it's a bad thing that there's both. In fact, that they're reinforcing only incentivizes more people. So, the private benefit that you get from giving, whether it's because it makes you feel good about yourself or, or whatever, that encourages and that's your that's a, that's something that means that we actually have more charitable giving than we would have otherwise, right? So, we have more of that public benefit than, than we would. So, there's a real, very real sort of argument to say you shouldn't necessarily donate privately. So, you know, like I've I remember, like, you know, as I said a couple of episodes, like, I started reading up a, a, a bit about um, George Michael and, um, you know, and, and one of the things I came across ab about him is that um, now <laughs> it's probably not the, the most fruitful, re you know, thing to donate, but I think he, he paid um, every year he, he paid to donate like a, a public Christmas tree for his local community. And, um, it, but he mm. didn't, it, it was never revealed that it was him paying for it, right? He did, he did that privately. Do you so think it was a deal was he got with the Christmas album that he just had this, uh, <laughs> yeah, <probably>. this connection? <laughs> Paid for with the royalties of um, last Christmas. But, um, I mean, one view is that, oh, that's very admirable that he did that privately and, and maybe that that's almost him kind of, you know, making a sacrifice that, you know, I'm this 
maybe that even reinforced the personal benefits to him that he's, no, I'm a person who doesn't give just for accolade. I give for because I'm really a good person. So maybe that just reinforces that side of the private benefit. But that, no, there's like an argument to say, no, if you donate, you should, yeah, there's nothing wrong with people publicly, you know, claiming credit or at least, you know, publicizing that they've donated or having some wing named after them in, in some museum because, you know, that's why people donate money because they want, you know, if, if there's a benefit to them in, in terms of prestige or, uh, you know, reputation, then that, that encourages the the act itself. So, it's not such a bad thing. How about yourself? I'm I'm a little bit more on the skeptical side. Um, I've never believed in true altruism. Um, I always think that, and, and I'm with I'm the same with you in in that way that that is okay. Like, again, the means justify the ends, right? It, it still means that there is more money for charitable causes to attempt to do more good. But what I do have a problem with is when people really try to fool themselves on it, um, and they they kind of claim that uh, that virtuosity or that kind of you know, standing. And that's the part that I probably have a problem with. Um, so I'm a little bit more on that side that I don't think that everything in the end of the day is either for um, public benefit, um, maybe with a touch of therapeutic nature, like you said, in private, that they think better about themselves or they're trying to ease the guilt in some way. And um, that's totally fine. But just, I think, don't pressure other people into it and don't kind of claim that you are better than others because you do it. Maybe you haven't come to terms with exactly why or um, or some of the nature of, of what led you down that road. Um, so that's kind of where I suppose I am on, on that subject. <laughs> so I want to ask you now a question because you seem a little bit more pessimistic on charity than where I'm at. So how much of this, like in thinking about some of these issues, like the role of government versus the role of charities and like that you pay tax, do you feel that how much, like to what extent do you think that absolves you of, an obligation to yeah to give to charitable causes. I feel that um, in somewhere like Australia, where we have relatively high tax, um, and a lot of that pumped into social welfare and things like that, and and health, I don't feel a direct tug that if you know I don't go and place that you know fifty dollar note into the person around the corner on the street, that that changes their life or that that reduces the resources that they have at their disposal. So I do kind of feel that kind of safety net is there. And maybe that's because I haven't explored it enough. And I'm sure that if I knew any of them on a personal level, I might feel differently. But I think that's the thing, right? And I and I, I do feel like this sometimes comes in from an Asian upbringing that charity starts at home, but like literally my home. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this idea of like for Asian communities and things like that, it's really about looking after your family and your local communities and then kind of that rippling out there's not this kind of idea of um well this what, what i've kind of felt is there's not an idea of this random giving right it's actually have you really done the work to make sure that the people living under your house the people that you interact with in your community your friends and family your relatives your local businesses and stuff like that are you really understanding what they need and if you and if you're helping, are you spending your efforts there rather than just like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut the flying doctors a check and that's it, you know, like I've ticked that off the list. You know, my my mum and raised me well. I give that every month. So I think that it's a different mentality for me because you know you can and you can do both. You can do both. And if you have the means, maybe maybe you should. But I do think that sometimes that random giving is at the expense of doing the community based work that I think can make a difference. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm probably somewhat similar, but I probably have a little bit slightly different views. So certainly I would agree that in Australia, so there's virtually no cause in Australia that I feel some great compulsion to give to, right? And that's mainly because we have effective government, right? Or at least my view would be if if there's a cause that's not properly dealt with, then that's the fault of government. So, you know, (laughs) like homelessness, right? Sorry, I should be laughing. I laughed at the wrong point when you said homelessness. I started laughing before (laughs) you said that, so just just for record. But why I was laughing was I was thinking, um, have you watched Fly of the Concords? No, no, Uh, I missed that one. Oh, man. Anyway, there's this thing where... They're, they're, I think they're trying to get close to this charity worker and there's this really ultra niche charity is about like epileptic dogs. <laughs> this like charity. And they're like, think about the epileptic dog. <laughs> Not every puppy can be so lucky. And like, but it's just like, sometimes I feel like there's really micro niche causes. And when it's like, we're just trying to promote awareness, you know, like um, Merkin alopecia affects, you know, millions of people a year <laughs> kind of thing. I, I do think we get coming back to effective altruism. We're being distracted. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There are benefits, social benefits, personal benefits, but don't pretend like just take it for what it is, like one of your hobbies. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. And I think a lot of people would take up a cause because that forms part of their identity, right? It's that they, like they're the person that cares about this group and they might even have someone in their family or someone they know that's affected by that thing. And it's, it's, it's not quite about like a, as you say, like an altruistic sort of, this is the cause that I think is really important. But I, like, I do think in Australia there's, you know, I don't, sorry, we, we jumped off from homelessness, but like a, something like homelessness, right? There's there's virtually no point in my mind of donating to a charity that is aimed at addressing homelessness yeah. in, in Australia. And, and the reason I say that isn't because I'm cold-hearted, but because there are a lot, I mean, there are publicly funded services and I would say that to the extent that they're not effective, um, that then that would be an, like my expectation. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are gaps, right? And I'm sure there are, you know, there are areas where the services are deficient, yeah. but in my mind, that's, that's the role of government, right? And we, and we, are a rich country and we can afford to pay the taxes that we need to pay to resolve those sorts of issues. Um, but so for that reason, I would be like you in that, you know, it's, it's not so much about, you know, that, that for me is what, what the role of government's for. But, you know, that said, most of the most pressing causes are not in Australia. So the most pressing causes are in countries where they don't have effective government and, and that's the problem. Right. And, and it's like, well, you almost need to like hack your evolutionary, yeah. psychology which is to care about your family and and the people closest to you you need to hack that and say well that helped us on the savannah but actually what this is about is is seeing through our natural instincts and saying well you know we we didn't evolve to care about people you know hundreds of thousands or you know, <laughs> thousands of kilometers away right we we evolved to um to care about um the people closest to us and and that's actually but, a flaw but don't in, you think though, that level of thinking comes like I'm not going to wheel out Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but <laughs> general fulfillment and safety and things like that within your your bubble, that immediate one that you're talking about. Um, you know, albeit side resenting the the Savannah comment. Um, <laughs> the once those people are looked after, they can then spend more energy on looking outward, right? Like, don't you don't you feel that there's a bit of, there is a bit of a hierarchy before you get to that stage? 
Oh, definitely. And there would still be people today who would say, I can't donate to charity because I've got a $3 million mortgage and, you know, I'm not going to pay a cent to charity until I've paid off my $3 million house, you know, and or and maybe add, add my $100,000 car in, in the mix yeah. as well, right? So, charity is definitely something that comes easier to people who have disposable income and not much to do with it, right? But at the same time, this is about saying, well, you know, you actually should have this at a much lower rung, you know, than what you currently have it. So, like, the only way we can come to these conclusions, because they they're not in, like that, we don't have instincts, like we don't have human instincts to give to people that we can't see, right? Um, it's the classic example of when, you know, they have a poster of, say, a, th- a thousand starving children, right, on a poster to to elicit donations, right? That's That poster is less effective at soliciting donations than just one starving child, right? Because the thousand starving children on a poster just it gets lost, right? Whereas the one child, you look at, you see the emotion of the child, you react to the, you know, you, you start thinking, what's the story of that one child, right? So, yeah. our, our human instincts are not geared up to, to give to these remote causes we can't relate to and and but we can to our family because we understand those but but that's really not where the need is the need is actually um abroad and 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 by the way you know there there would be some who would say that you know donating to support nutrition in africa is not is not worthy because what we really should be donating to is um you know um long-term research into you know to, to prolong human existence because we're a flash in the pan of, of the total humans who are ever going to exist. So we should be investing in causes that that help future generations, and and that's where our focus should be. Yeah. Um. So you you can really cut this a, a lot of different ways, and some of them are a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest. Oh, definitely. Um. Before we move on, and why I've been why I use that example of the person on the corner or the homeless one, because I actually do have some some personal examples with that. There was a lot of, um, well, for Sydney standards, um not international standards or American standards. There's a fair bit of kind of rough sleepers and homeless people where I did my uni course, right, uh, in that area. And I remember that um, obviously I was asking for some money or change. And um, one day I was walking with a a group of friends and um, I I, I kind of have an attitude that I've already spelled out that, you know, you don't give them money and it's not the right right way to do it potentially. But I had a friend who always used to give money and um, it was always just a little bit because we were uni students so you know ten dollars here five dollars there kind of thing but he got a part-time job and one day he decided to to give this homeless man a hundred bucks wow right hundred hundred dollars back in uni terms right so i think it was like his first paycheck he was living large he shouted everyone subway it was a magical day (laughs) i even got a cookie (laughs) <laughs> um, so he went by this um, this homeless guy that he had given two money before, and obviously had spoken to like very superficially. Gave a hundred bucks. I was just thinking, what are you doing? A hundred dollars, man! Um, like that's a lot of money for a uni student. And then we went out and we were like, we we had dinner that night, and we came back, and um, there was like a bit of a commotion where on the street we we came and see what what had happened, and essentially he had taken that hundred dollars. Mm-hmm bought a bunch of booze and, and drugs, had a massive party and was hit by a car. And, um, you know, the police were there and people were there and all that kind of stuff. And obviously we, we were young then, right? This was just shocking. It was nothing more than that. But reflecting on it now, I, I kind of do feel like, you know, again, where does your responsibility stop? Was it irresponsible to give $100 to that man 
in that condition, right? Because he's obviously dealing with some things. He's taken that money and harmed himself and poten- potentially others that he, that he, you know, from his... So it does raise a bit of questions, right, sometimes. And I, and I do feel like it's often the feel-good thing, the little dopamine hit that, you know, if, if it gives you that dopamine hit from doing it, you need to slow down and question it because it's not... It shouldn't be the primary reason why you're doing these things, right? And it can be very misleading. It feels good to give your kid... <laughs> Well, that's a bad example, but I was say, give your kid that, um, you know, that those lollies or chips or whatever, you get the dopamine rush, but you know, long-term it's not good. Right. And I think that you do have to be very careful about this stuff, you know, well, like, I have, yeah, well, I, look, I think to just to touch on the giving $100, you know, like that might seem as like, why would you do that? Um, but you know, he probably gets all, you know, got a, quite a big sense of even maybe a sense of power out of doing that and, um, probably got you know, a hundred dollars worth of benefit for doing that. Right. So, um, so I wouldn't, yeah, dismiss it, but, um, I guess in terms of the responsibility of it, I think in, in that situation, that's where charities themselves actually come into play. Right. So we talked about the administration costs of, of running a charity. Well, partly the administration costs come from because you have to work out how to responsibly exactly give to, to people. So, you know, rather than give a hundred dollars to this this lone guy on the street, who, as you say, will go and well, you know, this guy did, but you know, it, there's some probability that others would do the same on on alcohol or drugs or whatever. That's why charities exist to make sure it it goes to the genuine. You know, they intermediate the money, right? The the, the goodwill to give a so it would be better for this guy to give a hundred dollars to a charity that supports homeless people if that's was his goal than to give it to the individual but then at the same time you don't get that person wouldn't get the the benefit of you know yeah. give it, seeing the reaction of the face of the direct ben- beneficiary of it so there's this there's this kind of charities in some ways kind of your money goes into this big pool of cash and then the people who actually benefit from your money you you, you have no sense of of um of the benefit and that's like that takes me back to um thinking about world vision i think one of the things they did which was, um, I think, a good strategy is in this regard is um, you, you sponsor a child, right? So you have a child that you sponsor, and you get cards from that person every, you know, every couple of months, and you know you see how they're going, and, and there's that, you know, they they write to you saying how grateful they are for your assistance or whatever, and gives a little. And now I'm sure it's more marketing than, um, you know, there, there, there's probably just. They give you one one kid, but you know that the, your money still goes into a pool that that supports a community or whatever. But yeah, it's that yeah. It's connecting that those dots a bit better. I was going to talk about World Vision because that was very very popular when we were growing up, right? This idea of sponsoring a child and it was almost like poke. It always felt very uneasy with me. It was like white people collecting Pokemon, <laughs> exotic Pokemon, right? Like, oh, I've got a kid. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of kids actually, maybe a few generations even. You know, like I got my kid a kid. My kid's got a kid. <laughs> right and it felt very weird right and i know like the writing and the stuff there was it was just like a very us and them and it, and it is us and them i think that's the that is the point really but i do wonder how much empathy the kids got from it maybe that did help i'm not sure because it wasn't something that um we were engaged with at first well, they had um I, it, but, but these chuggers right for world vision don't they have like tables and then on the table they have pictures of the kids that you can sponsor it's like i'll pick, oh, a, pick like a, a child they got crosses through the ones they're taken this one's on back order <laughs> <laughs> sorry but you know what i mean like it does feel a bit icky by today's standards back then there was none of this like white privilege like white savior complex stuff this was actually seen as a good thing and i think it was um but when you really think about it it's very problematic and like even this idea like you're going to help one kid 
and like they might have a brother or sister, but no, money's gone to that one <laughs> one kid. But obviously, in reality, you need to help communities and stuff, and 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 that's kind of what they do, right? But like you said, it's the marketing is trying to connect one person from the privileged Western world to one person in the disadvantaged third world, right? And that is a stroke of genius, right? Like I think that that is good. Um, I'm not going to pull that apart, but I think by modern standards, it does feel. But yeah. I remember maybe uh, oh, I can't even remember what the it might have been like the tsunami, you know, the 2000 was it 2004 tsunami or mm. anyway that a fairly significant uh, you know event and a lot of people, a lot of lives sort of you know affected and I think a lot of charities did big recruitment uh, so, you know fundraising drives off 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 it to you know come and donate to these communities affected or whatever and um, they they did raise like quite a lot of money. And I think that I was think one of the turned- first ones that had like social media lit a fire under it, wasn't it? And, like with the hashtags and the movements and things like that it spread. Yeah, potentially. I, I don't quite remember the the history of. I remember you know telephones and all that sort of stuff, but but they raised a ton of money, and I I do recall there being some controversy over a charity that where they, where it turned out that yes, they'd raised money through that fundraising drive, but they'd actually only used part of the money towards servicing those communities, and that they actually. You know, other parts of the funds that we raised were used for you know their business as usual causes. Yeah, and I guess that's like an ethical question, right? So if you solicit donations off the back of you know conveying that you're going to do A, but it turns out you do B with the money, then is that is that right, or is it just well maybe that's a like you yeah. know suck it up because at the end of the day these causes are actually well. I've been uh, I've been seeing some very scary numbers come out of the whole Black Lives Matter donations pool and where that where that money's going but I, I do not have enough research to actually talk on that so i won't but i'll just drop it there as a curio but i think that the the charity industry is littered with those kind of things there are so many like you just have to go into google there is a graveyard of like fraud and misuse and all sorts of paybacks and stuff like that you know like one really funny one i was reading about was like this service that used to fly planes to rescue dogs that would have been put down i think it was like paws that sore or something like that and the guy tricked people into like thinking that he needed his own it was more economical if you buy me my own private jet because then i could save even more instead of just like all these costs around fuel and things i'm just i'm just in my head picturing like the climate change charity (laughs) coming after that um that charity chasing each other in their own planes um (laughs) but the good thing about the funny thing was though when he when he finally got caught and he had to pay back all this money and he wasn't actually saving many dogs or anything um and spending all this money on his mortgage and all this kind of stuff when they contacted the people for a refund the, the donors they said even if this motherfucker saved one dog i'm in and i'm okay with it like that that's how strong the urge is to do good right and to kind of like hope that I'd rather think that my money saved at least one dog than was like embezzled in a thousand ways and this guy's like rocking up on his private jet right but yeah that one was that was, that was an interesting one but there's there's so many like there's so many I just want to uh, maybe and maybe this this is something to close on is um we've talked a little bit today about you know effective altruism and giving to most you know highest impact causes right and we talked a bit about like altruism. Is it truly altruistic mm. and all that sort of stuff? Dollar for dollar, it but, always comes down to mosquito nets. Always. <laughs> <laughs> um, that could be, yeah. The, the, I'm just thinking like if every every um, effective altruist dollar goes to mosquito nets, we'll have an oversupply very quickly. But um, so okay. So what I want to put forward is is this notion like does it matter? Right. Like one of the strongest arguments for just not caring about 
like the cause that it donates to is that if you tug at the heartstrings of someone like cute little puppy dogs or whatever, and, you know, we might say that that's not, that charity is is low impact and not effective. But if that tugs at the heartstrings and, and someone wants to give to it, then if we just go, it, like if we just basically have a view that unless like every dollar that's donated should go to, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, um, mosquito nets, then like that doesn't inspire people and people are not going to give, right? So you kind of need to create like a space for people to have their hobby causes yeah. that maybe a low impact, but you know what? If they're not going to, they're not going to give to the other causes. So you may as well give them choice and you may as well give, have a market, a diverse market of different causes and the total amount given in that world where you have diversity of choices and diversity of causes that excite people You'll have more money donated, and then maybe that frees up money that can be spent on, yeah. you know, on really impactful causes. So, yeah, what what are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. You know, everyone needs a hobby, and actually, I think there's a lot of personal fulfillment, and the pool's bigger. I'm sure Ben Lee will let everyone use that "We're All in It Together" <laughs> song. Um, he always does. We'll get a strike. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm I'm with you, right? Like I just like I said, I just don't like when it's used for virtuous reasons to like hold over other people. But everything else, I'm fine with. I want to end Andy on one question to you, one hypothetical, which is: if you were donating your money, or you were going to do something with your time purely for the public good to show people how amazing Andy was in the most like gregarious way, what would it be? Oh, geez. I think I would probably buy another 10,000 mosquito nets. (laughs) (laughs) Just make like a monument full of mosquito nets. (laughs) Just trade them over people. Uh, I don't know. Or maybe one giant mosquito net for Africa. So um, the whole of Africa. (laughs) I, I think it, like there's a um, maybe a new wing at the um, I don't know like I don't know do they like I did see when we, when I was in New York the the David Geffen wing of of um, Museum of Modern Art and thought oh yeah that's pretty badass I always find it weird like when you dedicate something and you have like a plaque or a statue or a picture made like how socially acceptable is it to choose like how close to your actual like physical look or age do you have to go can you go like really young. <laughs> <laughs> just go oh like i want i want a picture when i was like 10 years younger can you like model it on this <laughs> um because yeah it's like i often think about i came back from london and there's that amazing churchill statue that overlooks the parliament and it's like this guy's already a ghoul like surely he would have wanted a younger a younger image but i guess that's how everyone knows him yeah um it wouldn't look the same though. It wouldn't yeah. look right, you know. Well, even his uh, yeah, boar, boar war uniform. <laughs> See, I'm I'm more of a man of the people when it comes to overt shows of charity. Like I'm thinking something way more like grassroots. I'm thinking like they wheel me out in the Pope mobile or the back of a truck and I've got like a turkey cannon. You know how like um <laughs> sports stars always go to their hometowns and they give out turkeys like for Thanksgiving, especially if they come from poor neighborhoods and it's like they just have like hundreds of turkeys, right? Like, look it up. Like, I think it's really popular in the NBA. There's, like, one guy that gives out, like, 800 turkeys, shacks all over it. Um, I just get a, a cannon. You know how, like, they shoot out T-shirts at the NBA game? But this one shoots turkeys. I just, like, fucking... I think you should um, I think you should innovate by doubling down on the bin chicken. Um, Ooh. Frozen bin chicken. Yeah, the, the Ibis cannon. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we have to try one now. Uh, no, we should have that actually.